So over the, these last three weeks, we've been looking at the beginning of Mark's gospel, and we actually made it a couple of chapters in, but today the lectionary circles back around to chapter one as we commemorate the baptism of our Lord by his cousin John. And we're going to get right into the scripture text, which is Mark chapter one, beginning in verse nine. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Mark writes, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Amen. You know, that's really a, a lot of stories kind of condensed into a pretty short account, right? Now, now, thankfully for us, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke provide a much fuller description of those events and allows us more insight than just kind of that Cliff Notes version that Mark gives us that I just read to you. But, you know, in, in this version, Mark's in a hurry. He's like that. And you'll notice that as we study the Gospel of Mark together through the rest of this year's lectionary, he's always giving just the minimum of detail. He's, he's stripping his narrative down to its essentials. But he tells us what's important. He tells us what's important. And I appreciate that about him. Because for one reason, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit that I need the most help with is patience. Is patience. I remember when I was still working at the pharmacy and you know, helping people with their insurance benefits and their prescription refills. I always hated it when someone would call in and they felt like they needed to tell me every single detail of their day before we could get to what they were actually calling about. And I always wanted to say, you know, sir, ma'am, I'm sorry you don't feel well. Tr truly I am. But, but I don't need to know that your neighbor, whose name is Gladys, had to take the day off of work today to carry you to the doctor's office in the pouring down rain that always makes your arthritis hurt. Or, or that after you struggled to get into the waiting room that you had to wait all afternoon to see the doctor, but you really didn't mind because you've been seeing him since you were first married to your husband, Ed, who you've been with for the last 52 years come this March. <laughs> when all I really needed to help that person was their insurance ID, the name of the medication they wanted, and the credit card that she was going to use to pay for. That's it. That's it. Because I had a job to do. My calls were being timed, and they were supposed to be, on average, no more than three minutes in length, which she blew right out of the park. <laughs> so you can see why I wanted to just get right to the point. Kind of how you were starting to feel when I could, was telling you that story, right? Well, Mark must have felt the same way. He must have felt that same sense of urgency in zeroing in on his topic, because if you notice, our reading was short, and it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And even though it's concise, he tells us several things about him. He tells us how Jesus comes down from Nazareth and goes into the wilderness to meet John the Baptist. It tells us he was baptized in the Jordan River and that the Holy Spirit comes down 
on him in the form of a dove. And immediately, immediately he's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And Mark is saying, I want us to get straight into this passage. He's saying, basically, I don't have time for for appetizers. There's a meal on the table. And we've got to get to it if we're going to enjoy it. And so we see right off the bat here, Jesus submitting to baptism. He undergoes the baptism of John. And I want to break that out a little bit for you because John's baptism is a little different from our Christian baptisms. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't baptized in the name of the Trinity. But his baptism, as, as Mark tells us and other gospel writers tell us, was a baptism of repentance. Its, its focus was on the need for the people of God to repent of their sins. Right? They were in breach of God's covenant. The covenant that God made with them at Sinai. They'd, they'd broken their word. They'd broken their marriage promises, as it were. And now they've been invited back out into the wilderness. Back to the waters of John's baptism that were symbolic of their need for cleansing. But then we come to Jesus. And, and he's here to be baptized, but he didn't have anything to repent from. Remember, he was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now Jesus is standing in the waters of the Jordan River asking John to pour water down over him in public, in front of thousands of people, thousands of of men and women. Some scholars have suggested there may have been as many as 300,000 people who went out to be baptized by John. Now, obviously, not all on the same day, of course, but just continually coming to be baptized. And they came from all over Judea and Jerusalem And now Jesus is here. He's maybe standing in one of those shallow areas of the Jordan and and John is pouring water over him, symbolic of a baptism of repentance. But, you know, in doing that, what he's doing is publicly identifying with sinners. You have to wonder, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why is he doing that? Well, there are several things that are happening that I want us to notice. And for one... This Lamb of God, this servant of the Lord, is being inaugurated into public ministry. A ministry that's going to take him to his death. And it's a sign that Jesus is willing to play that role of of mediator. He's willing to become our redeemer. And in this baptism, Jesus is basically stepping down to our level. He's ready to accept his humiliation in our stead as the Messiah. And in this role of Savior, and he's taken this, this one that fulfills the covenant for us. The one that we couldn't do. Because remember, he didn't need a baptism of repentance, right? He didn't have any sin. He didn't even need to repent on our behalf. He could have said, hey folks, you're on your own. But instead, he identified himself with us. And he begins that process at what's been called the great exchange. The great exchange is what I mentioned to the kids. You see, we need righteousness to be acceptable to God but we don't have it, do we? What we have is sin. And God has what we need, but could never earn. He's got that righteousness. So we have what God hates and rejects. We've got sin. But what's God's answer to that? Well, His answer is Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who not only died in our place and bore our condemnation, but He lived in our place, fulfilling everything that the law requires. And in this act of obedience on our behalf. And you know, it's, it's interesting, we talked about this in Bible study before, but theologians have talked about the act of obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. 
And there's a reason that that's important. It's not just a theological curiosity. Because, you see, they've spoken about Jesus' time on the cross as his, his passive obedience. It's something that he allowed to happen to him for the payment of our sin debt. And, brothers and sisters, Christ did more, though, than just die for you. He did more than die for you. He lived for us, for you and me. Otherwise, why didn't he just descend straight down from heaven, go directly to the cross, and be done with the whole process of salvation in one weekend? Did you ever think about that? Why, why go on and live 33-odd years on the planet knowing where he was headed? Why not just get there on day one? And I'm going to give you a quick example that may help here. Just imagine for a minute that you owe someone $100 million, right? A debt you could never possibly repay. Now suddenly someone comes along and pays that debt. You don't owe anything anymore, but you don't have anything either. Right? You've just gone from $100 million in the hole up to zero. But that's all you've got is zero. Now, imagine the same scenario, but this time, someone comes along and not only pays your $100 million in debt, but hands you $100 million for you to keep. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what Christ has done in your life. Through his passive obedience on the cross he paid our debt but through his active obedience in that he lived that sinless life that willingly and actively obeying all of God's regulations in all manner of acts that he did and all those things that Jesus did leading up to this moment to this baptism and he does it to bring us life and the second thing Mark wants us to notice here is Jesus is anointed by the spirit now this is kind of the Basically, the meat and potatoes, the main course that Mark is getting at today because something extraordinary happens. And I want you to just try to imagine this for a minute. Mark says that the heavens opened up. Right? The heavens opened up. I've been trying to imagine that all week. I can't even imagine what that would look like. Right? Now, there's some wonderful paintings that have tried to, to capture it and depict it, but I don't think that's possible. As, as the Spirit descends now and Christ's baptism in this context becomes... Not a baptism for repentance, but instead it's an anointing in preparation for his ministry in the three holy offices that he filled, a prophet and priest and king. And Jesus comes up from the waters of his baptism and he has this vision. He sees heaven opened. He sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and he hears a voice from heaven saying, you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And all three of these things serve to acknowledge that Jesus is that bridge now between God and man. And that access to God is made in himself. It's not in any law or any religion or any regulation, but in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And now we see heaven torn apart at Jesus' baptism, never to be shut again for all of those who would put their hope in him through faith. And you know, the only other time that Mark uses that same type of a word for rending or for tearing apart is when he describes the tearing of the veil in the temple at Jesus' death. Right? It's that kind of pictorial language that said, God is coming close now. He's interacting with his people and he's about to make something known to us. He's about to show us that the decrees of the Father and the movement of the Spirit combine together in and around the person of Jesus Christ. You know, a little... Later on in the narrative, when Jesus is back in Nazareth in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, 
You know, Jesus, you remember, read from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, that passage that talks about the Spirit having descended on him. And he sent him to preach the good news, to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons for all of those who are bound. Do you remember that passage? And do you remember what he said to the people? He said, today, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your ears. The Spirit has come down upon him. The descent of the Spirit to support him and to strengthen him, to fulfill those offices we talked about. That prophet and priest and kingly office. And you know, the other thing that is very important to mention here, I, I want you to notice this, in the accomplishment of redemption, it's a Trinitarian act. It's done on behalf in the Trinity because the Father speaks... The Spirit is sent down on the Son, so we have all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons in one God combined together now in this operation and fulfillment to the promise that God made to save a people for Himself. And that's important because we don't focus on the Trinity very often, do we? Do you hear many sermons on the Trinity? Maybe once a year. The danger being that we can become, for all intents and purposes, Unitarians in our worship. And it can happen in different ways, right? Our brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal church sometimes overemphasize the movement of the Spirit at the expense of Christ. Some modern seeker-friendly churches focus only on God as opposed to the Son and the Spirit. And as a church, we want to make sure that we proclaim the supremacy and the majesty of Jesus Christ, but we always do it in the context of the Trinity. And... That's why Paul said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 2, he said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And read this one with me. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All three are involved. That's the reason the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. If you remember way back in your Bibles, remember how... In the opening chapters of Genesis, it tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That he spoke this construction into being through the word of Jesus Christ. And remember, it tells us that the spirit that he brooded, that he, he hovered like a bird over the waters in that process of that original creation. All with God the Father and the Spirit and Jesus operating together in that economy of the Trinity. And now in today's reading, Mark kind of wants us to pick up on that. That Jesus has come to recreate and to undo the consequences of the fall. This last Adam now is here who's going to undo what's befallen the creation in this one man, Jesus Christ. Standing here in the waters of the Jordan. All in this one, a new creation is about to dawn. And just at that moment, Jesus hears his father's voice. Jesus hears the father's voice and he said, This is my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. And you know, I have no doubt that that was a word that John the Baptist really needed to hear that day. I have no doubt it was a word that the others standing around needed to hear that day. All that corroboration of the Father to the identity of His Son. But you know, in this instance, I think it was just as much for Jesus as it was for anyone else. Because even in all this the splendor and the glory of heaven opening in the person of Jesus standing here, the Father looks down at Him and says, I love you. I love you, and I want you to know that. You know, maybe some of you fathers here have spoken to your sons that way before important moments in their lives, whether they're going off to college or when they're about to get married 
Or maybe more importantly, when they're going to face a trial or a difficulty and you've, you've said words like, Son, I love you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that even when you won't hear my voice. I want you to know that even when it appears as though I'm far away. And there would be a moment like that for Jesus, wouldn't there? On the cross. Remember when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see here today, his father speaks this word of assurance and he says, you are my son and I love you. And you know, surely that message would have been a light to him in the dark times that were ahead. Because that takes us actually to Mark's final point of the day. This is, this is the end of the meal he's getting to. It's come, but it's no dessert. Because he tells us Jesus is tempted. And if you notice the language here, it's the language of Mark for sure, because there's no segue. There's no linking statement from one idea to the next. Because Mark writes, no sooner has the Spirit come down on him that that same Spirit drives him into the wilderness. So right here we are in the wilderness again. A little reminder of the creation that's fallen because Jesus hadn't come back to the Garden of Eden, did he? He came to our world ravaged by sin. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning too, about this world of ours, this world of, of wars and rumors of wars and, and death and disease and trial and pain. And Jesus is now driven out into that wilderness because he's going there to restore us from the fall. He's there to restore what Adam lost. And he can't go back to Eden, but out to the wasteland if he's going to do that. Where he's engaged now in this cosmic battle that's about to take place as Jesus is driven there to the wilderness, Mark says, to be tempted by Satan. And I want you to notice how important this is. It's God who's taken the initiative here, right? This attack wasn't of the devil. The Spirit dictates the terms. It's a surprise attack, but not on Christ. It's on Satan. This is his opening salvo. It's the first major assault on the kingdom of darkness and that initiative is entirely from the holy spirit you know again here mark doesn't give us any details not like the other gospel writers do but he says jesus was tempted for 40 days again those symbols of israel in the wilderness and, and of the temptation of adam and now satan has this new adam to deal with and you know it's so by way of comparison we're pretty easy when it comes to attacks of the devil aren't we Right? I mean, Satan can get his hooks in our hearts pretty easily because we were born in sin. We live around it every day. We still commit it often. But the enemy had to do something different with Jesus. He had to try to get Jesus just for a moment to do something for himself instead of for others. To make that selfish choice. He tried to try to coax Jesus to abandon just for a moment his role of mediator and just operate in his own divine power and strength. And his temptations were very real, but, you know, Jesus never gave in. He never wavered. And praise God, Jesus is the one now to whom you and I can turn when we are tempted. You know, Martin Luther, once when he was asked how he defeated Satan, he said something to the effect of, Satan comes around to the door and knocks on the door of his heart. Satan says, who lives here? But Luther said, Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther lives here uh, no longer. But now I do. And slams the door shut on him. Because you see, our substitute, our mediator, our king has gone to war against Satan and emerged victorious. And it is with him, you Christians that are, are you're in Christ, that we have our union. God lays our sins on Christ and punishes them in him. And in Christ's obedience, God fulfills and vindicates his righteousness and credits it to us.
So it's our sin on Christ and his righteousness on us. And when you think about it, we can hardly stress that Christ is God's answer to that great problem. It's all owing to him. You know, we can't love him too much. We can't think about him too much. We can't thank Jesus too much or depend on him too much because all of our forgiveness, all of our justification is in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news that our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is laid on us. That's the great exchange that becomes ours, not by works, but by faith. That's why Paul writes, by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. That's the good news today. That's the good news that lifts burdens, that brings joy, and that makes you strong in Christ now and forever. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you were willing to send your Son, that he not only came to die for us, Lord, but he came to live for us. And so we thank you for uh, that great exchange that you've made, taking uh, our sins and giving us his perfect righteousness. And we ask, Lord, that you would send us out uh, this day and this week to share that good news with everyone we meet. And we'll give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.